This is the Tribune Audio Network. Hi. Hi. Welcome to Sip. Survive. And repeat. And repeat. That's <laughs> Teddy's not here with us today, so that sounds like he's dead. The dynamic duo of Jenny and Danelle. Uh, you do. Uh, Kenny is moving. Alive. Yeah, he's alive. He is moving into his lady friends' uh, place where we usually record when there isn't a pandemic. So right. shout out Kim. What's up, girl? Thanks for letting our boy move in with you. Well, it's about time, you two. You two. You crazy two crazy kids. kids. <laughs> We're I'm like an old. Them. It's That's so such cute. An exciting time in your relationship and life. I'm so mm. excited. They're both just good kids. We sound uh, old. We do sound old. Although I did just turn 39. So ah, happy birthday, belated. Thank you. Thank birthday. you. That's I'm fine. A terrible podcast co-host. It's fine. Uh, it was. I was on vacation during it, so it's. I mean. I didn't expect a lot because I was out of the, out of the town. I was going to say out of the country, but I was just in a different state. So it's, <laughs> I wasn't out of the country. You were still out of Ohio. So that's all that matters. I was on an Island. I was in Outer Banks and it was lovely. And we did a lot of um, staying at the house that we had rented. And it was the cutest little house with a pool and a hot tub and like a two minute walk to the beach. Oh, magical. And just really, I don't know how to describe it. A week that was needed, I guess. Um, yeah. The drive sucks ass, but. <laughs> how long is it? Isn't it like 10 hours or something? It's 11 oh. and a half-ish. Um, but here's the thing. Going down, we split up the trip. So, like, on the way down, we stopped right outside of D.C. Um, and then I actually stayed with my friend who lives out there, Julie, and, um, and I don't get to see her very often. We usually see each other like once, maybe twice a year. She's the one I went to Mexico with right before the pandemic got really bad. Oh yeah. Okay. So I stayed with her and we just like ordered in sushi and like, you know, hung out and drank. I drank the shit out of some wine. Cause like she doesn't drink red. So I bought, well, yeah, it was my first night of vacation and it was a night without any kids because Donald took them to a hotel. So it was just me and her. And she, we, or, we got a bottle of red. Oh, I got to go to um, Total Wine, which is like, I guess it's a chain I didn't realize. But the oh, ladies yeah, of... There. My sister used to live in D.C. So she like yeah. would go so the, there all the time. The ladies of Wine and Crime, which is a podcast I really like. Hold on. I have to take a sip of wine while we're talking. Um, so they're wine expert amanda a lot of times goes to total wine and she, they're in minneapolis well she is every, they're all over the place but um they talk with minnesota accents which is why sometimes i think i talk in a minnesota accent because i listen to them too much you and like then, adapt it yeah <sighs> i don't know what happens um but she goes to total wine sometimes and gets wine from there although they also get a lot of wine from wink which we've done wink um on our podcast too so Anywho, I was very excited for going to a chain wine store. (laughs) You can't take this girl anywhere. For very odd reasons, because of my podcast crush. Um, (laughs) Don't mind me. Um, And then, let's see. Okay, so they they stayed overnight. Then the next night, we still weren't allowed to get into our house. 
Um, so we, we were at like an hour and a half outside of the Outer Banks and we stayed at uh, something Springfield Inn and Suites, okay. uh, which is just like, it's like along the lines of a Holiday Inn Express or like one of those. Yeah. So not super nice, but whatever. Um, and the reason we stayed there is because they had their pool open. Because when you travel with kids, if they have a pool and they aren't allowed to go in it, they will lose their minds. Yeah, they will lose their shit. So, and there were, like, rules in place. Like, they could only have um, max 10 people in the pool area, only six people in the pool, and max two people in the hot tub. Meaning two people just had to sit around and do nothing in the pool area. But whatever. Ooh. But I'm telling you, ho- indoor hotel pools don't seem very clean. No, mm. I, I especially indoor ones. Outdoor ones, I feel a little differently about. <laughs> right, because the sun is there. Smell, yeah, the sun's there, but I feel like there's a, a certain smell in an indoor pool. I just, I can't get into it. Yeah. So Donald and the there was another couple that was driving down from Ohio, so they were staying the same place as we were as we went down. Uh, they, Donald and them, went to Walmart to get a bunch of supplies, like groceries and stuff, before we headed down. So the kids wanted to go to the pool, so I had to take them. And I was like, oh, God. This is so gross. This is so gross. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to Um, get in. It's not like you can just let them swim by themselves, right? No. I mean, if it was just Izzy, she could probably go in by herself, but she gets bored. But she did make a little friend, which was cute, and they were playing together. And then, but yeah, Declan, nah. He's like, you got to get in with me, Mama. And I'm like, okay. He's like, you, you're getting in. I'm like, oh, it seems so clean. (laughs) (laughs) i won't have a fungus after this i swear oh god Ten thousand funguses later um so anywho uh but then on the way home we left at like 3 30 in the morning uh and drove straight through um the good news is is if you leave that early um you miss all the traffic leaving the island um because there's only one way in and one way out as far as roads are concerned um so usually you can sit in that for up to an hour or more Oh, so there was no traffic at 3.30 a.m. <clears throat> so um, we actually cut our trip down by about an hour by doing that. Nice. Okay. So good yes, to know. we left at a shitty time of the middle of the night. But the kids slept in the car and we shaved an hour off the trip. So yay good. for us. Yay for you. Now, did Donald drive all the way <coughs> back or did you do as co-share the driving we shared. So, um, when he thought he was going to pass out, I was sleeping in the passenger seat and he like punched me in the shoulder and was like, Hey, can you drive your turn? Yeah. That's (laughs) safe. That's safer than trying to have one person drive all the way through. Yeah. He's tried to do that before. Like, I think last year when we drove to Myrtle beach, he tried and I was like, you're going to pass out. Just let me drive. What are you doing? And that was, that was like 12 hours. Yes. It was ridiculous. So yeah, so Do this they have time flights that go down to the Outer Banks. I would. There's flights, so, but right? I don't. I don't know where. I don't know where you land. Like you still would have mm-hmm. to drive probably a couple hours to get to the actual Outer Banks. Hmm. It's just so. a lot of driving. So. Oh, for sure. Not that I'm for going anywhere sure. anytime soon. However. <laughs> yes, we are uh, living in a vacation-free life for the rest of the year and um, saving up to fix our air conditioning unit. <laughs> so, well, which died whilst we were gone 
Yeah, it's uh, it's been real hot and steamy up here in Ohio, Northeast mm-hmm. Ohio. So I do feel bad that you don't have an AC unit. I did say to Jenny before we started the podcast, I said, do I sound different because I'm in our sunroom, which doesn't have central air or heat in it. It's like a little addition, whatever, all seasons room. And I said to her, I just, my house is too cold. I don't want to be in it anymore. I want to sit my, and then I was like, oh my God, who am I saying this to? The girl that just lost her AC in her house. Like I'm complaining (laughs) about my house being too cold. (laughs) Jerk. It's cool. It's cool. Um, We have, like I said, we have, uh, we have window units that we have installed in the meantime, but unfortunately air conditioning is expensive. So boo we gotta save up very expensive and i didn't didn't like that there's nothing wrong with a good old-fashioned window unit baby yeah we're just living on the edge and they're so savvy they're so like technologically advanced now like we have one in our bedroom just because we like it extra cold in there or the dog does really and we (laughs) have it it has a bluetooth so you can have we have it on a timer so it just turns on at like eight o'clock and shuts off at like seven in the morning yep we Ours are all on Bluetooth too. We have three units that we bought to get us through the rest of summer mm-hmm. um, so that we can save up and get this, these new units. But like I said, our AC and our furnace are both 21 years old. So, so it's time. I mean, I guess. You got, you're lucky that you got that much out of it. Yeah. Honestly. Agreed. Agreed. So um, mm-hmm. anywho, I also wanted to say uh, official mascot, Jenny's horse, Donna, got a bath today, which was... Aww super fun um I don't think she thinks it's as fun as I do I was gonna ask you how does she feel about it uh, she seemed to like kind of enjoy it because it was like hot and steamy so I think it was like nice cool down yeah but they also have warm water in the barn so it's not like I was like spraying her with a hose like a ice cold hose um which is what growing up I always had to do to the poor horses which I was like which they actually probably liked (laughs) It depends on how, how hot and sweaty they were at the moment. But this was just like I went there and, and washed her. So she wasn't hot. Well, yeah. she could have been. I don't know. Whatever. I, I just. Oh, my God. What so happened? My cat just bit me. Sorry. Ah! He's laying next to me. And he's. We call him. He's like Heathcliff. Like he's like a. I don't know. And I was just. Pet, he like rolled over so I could pet his belly. So I go to pet his belly. And he just freaking bit me. That sounds about right. He's like, nope, not today, biatch. Anyway, Sorry. Okay, so um, let's talk about what we're drinking. Uh, you go first because I already know your status, so go ahead. You, te- <laughs> you tell everyone what you're doing, so, young lady. I am doing a three-day juice cleanse Blech. because I'm a crazy person. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is day two, so it's like three kale drinks a day, ju- uh. juices. Yeah, and they're real nasty. And so you start your day off with a, with a nice kale juice. And then that's followed by a lemon, or no, a peppermint mint, or no, shit, a pineapple mint juice. Mm-hmm. And then you follow that with a kale juice. And then for an afternoon snack, you have a, let's see, what did I just drink? A lemon reset juice, which is lemon and cayenne. Mm-hmm. And then what will follow this is another kale drink for dinner. And then a midnight snack, it will be like an apple pepper drink or something and I have to say it's only three days and Todd wanted to do it It, this is his doing not mine and I Mm. said well fine if you're gonna do it I'll do it with you and I have to 
say I'm kind of into it. I'm not hungry. I do miss putting food in my mouth and chewing. (laughs) Um, I mean, you could chew your juice. You could. I do just miss like passing the time with eating though. Mm, like, yes. and most would think that it's going to make you like go to the bathroom a lot. Like I pee a lot, but it's not like, I'm not like going number two a lot yet. Like it's not, I mean, it's just like, I just have to pee all the time. I don't know. So mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, and I know like when the juice cleanse ends, so Saturday will be my first day off of it. There are certain foods you have to like reintroduce back to your diet. Like um, you know, you start with like an avocado and then like, you know, some like vegetable broth. And I'm like, you can't like go have a cheeseburger, which ideally is what I would want to do. So, yeah, um, we'll see how it goes. I, um, so far so good. Okay. If you say so, but I am like super cold and mm-hmm. I, um, am tired. So there's that. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do more than three days. Some yeah. people do, they have a seven-day one. Oh, oh thank you, ma'am. No. No. All right. Well, some of us are not. I'm on a juice cleanse right now. It's called wine. Wine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, this is, I actually picked up an actual new bottle of wine. It's not from a box. Uh, this is called Charles and Charles. It is a 2017 Post number 35 blend. Don't know what that means. Sounds fancy. Yeah. It's a Columbia Valley, Washington wine. I love a Washington wine. And it is a mixture of Cab, so Cabernet Sauvignon, and Syrah. So it's very... um, Dry. um, Yeah. I guess Syrah really dry. Isn't it very dry? I think so. But let's see. Hold on. I'm reading the, the description. It says soulful, bold, true, and named for the st- historic post number 35 building. This blend embodies traits we truly admire. This wine is expressive and original, bringing together the structure and dense black currant flavors of Cabernet Sauvignon and the sumptuous dark fruit and spice of whole cluster Syrah. Mm. So fancy. It is, um, it's quite delicious. I wasn't sure. I mean, I spent $14 on this bottle, so I figured okay. it, it's probably going to be better than what I usually get. I feel like a good, like there is most of the time, there is a difference between like that 14 and like $16 mark with quality. like anything under like 12 for me. So most of the times is I don't like it. But yeah. That's not always the case. But. Well, there's that wine I found uh, a couple weeks ago, the bear one that yes. I was drinking a lot that I got at Aldi for like under nine bucks and it was there delicious. There are definitely exceptions for sure. But yes. for the most part, Agreed. It, it's that like $14, $15 mark. Yeah. That's why I picked this one. I actually had no clue. I liked the label and then I, yeah. um, and then I saw that it was like 14 bucks and I was like, that seems right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I generally, I go to the type of wine. So I like a Pinot Noir or a Cab or even a Merlot, any red. And then I figure out what read, like, well, first it's the, you know, the kind. And then I go for the label. And mm-hmm. then if I'm feeling real, like, frisky, I'll look to see where it's from. Because I know yes. I like Oregon wines and even, even California wines. So Yes, yes. 
Oh, so, all right. Should we talk about um, survival stories now? Yes. We now should. that we've yammered on for a while. Yammer yeah. must be my, my word of the day. I said that to Danelle on text earlier. Yammered on. Yeah. Um, so who wants, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? No, you can go first. Okay. There was an I issue with Danelle's computer, so. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm back up. Good. So, and I'm really excited about this one. Actually, Kenny gave me the story. Oh, yeah, he said. It's really good. So I watched a video. I think I watched 48 hours and then read a couple articles and Wikipedia, you know, our usual sources. So um, this is actually a story on one of the largest mass kidnappings in U.S. history. Uh Oh, and I'm going to take you back to the summer of 1976. It was hot. It was sweaty. And it was in July. And no one had air conditioning. And no one had air conditioning because it's the 70s. (laughs) um so picture jenny's house in the 70s not that you guys know what that looks like but okay so we're going to a small town in chowchilla california yes chowchilla it's like you know a teeny tiny town they they described it as like a cow town in fact one of the school like the school district there is called like Dairyland or something Uh so i thought you were gonna say the school mascot was a cow and i was gonna be like that's that is a terrible it mascot, but all right. A, I'm thinking like the Chick-fil-A mascot. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, a farm town that kind of reminds me of where I grew up. So everyone knows everyone. You don't lock your doors at night. Everyone's friendly, whatever. <clears throat> so a busload of kids were on their way back from summer school. And they had vis- visited like a community pool that day and did, you know, summer school things, whatever that is. And there were 23 kids on the bus, including a bus driver. So 24 total, but 23 kids. And all the kids were ranging from the ages of 5 to 14. So it's a good mixed bag. Um, so the bus is leaving the pool, and it's driving to start the descent of everyone's house. I don't know if they were heading back to the school or if they're going to drop the kids off at their home. I'm not really sure the details of that. But <coughs> the bus was pulling up to a stop sign, and there was a car parked sitting at the stop sign. as a big white van. Mm. And the bus driver, Ed Ray... Good old Ed Ray, he is a good Samaritan, so he pulls up left to the left side of the white van, and he opens the door up, the bus uh, doors, and he wants to check to make sure they're okay. Because, again, small town, there's no one around, whatever. So he opens the door to check on them, and as he does this, three armed and masked men jump out of the white van and board the school bus. Mm Mm-mm. So at this point, the bus is officially taken hostage by these three men. Uh, All of the kids, again, ages 5 to 14, and Ed, our bus driver, they were instructed to move to the back of the bus while um, one of the masked gunmen jumped back in the white van and the other one to follow the bus. And the other one, you know, drove the bus to a uh, off-site location. So they drove about like 30 minutes. And it was the area that they drove to was full of grass. And they, one of the accounts was that the grass was so high that it actually covered the entire bus. Like the grass was higher than the the height of the bus. So they drove the bus to this desolated area with all this tall grass. And they noticed that there were two additional vans parked in this area. So they stopped the bus, opened the back doors and instructed all the kids to load into these two extra vans and they had them jump from the bus to the van because they didn't want them to leave any footprints, which is scary to me. Like that's just creepy. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. 
So the two vans were, they said they described them as like, you know, they had no windows. The windows were blacked out and they were like little prison chambers in the van, in the vans, like places to maybe like, you know, handcuff you. I don't think they were handcuffs, but like it almost looked like a little prison within the Mm. van. So they crammed all these kids and the bus driver in these two vans and they drove for about a hundred miles. No. I know. That's a long time to just be crammed in this van and be terrified. Can you imagine a five-year-old going through this? No. I mean, tra- just tragic. So um, when they reach their destination, they are at a gravel pit. Okay. So each kid was loaded off one by one of the van. And they were taken to a hole in the ground with a wooden ladder reaching 12 feet into the earth. Um, Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. My phone started doing weird stuff. It was. So they unloaded every single kid individually off the van. Okay. And they walked them to this manhole in the ground. Mm -hmm. And it was a 12 foot hole with a wooden ladder in it. Mm Mm-mm. And it was small and it was dark and every single kid was forced to enter the hole. No. Uh-huh. So apparently weeks <clears throat> prior, the kidnappers had buried a large trailer <clears throat> truck in the ground. Oh, so Jesus. imagine like one of those, it looks like one of those trailer trucks on the back of a semi, maybe yeah. not that large, but like something like that. They buried it 12 feet underground, covered it up and then built like a tunnel hole to it. And that's what these kids were going down in. Mm -hmm. Um, so the truck did have food and water, like cereal and bullshit like that. And they had created these makeshift boxes with holes in them Mm -hmm. for them to use the restroom. And they did have a a couple fans. There was no electricity. There was no light, but somehow they had like a ventilation system, like a, like a rickety one. It was nothing high tech set up in there. Right. Um, And again, no lighting, no electricity. So after all 23 kids plus the bus driver were loaded underground into essentially this metal box, the kids (coughs) threw down a roll of toilet paper and said, we'll be back later and close the lid, the manhole lid. So Uh, one of those big, heavy steel manhole lids to seal it. So imagine the terror, all of these freaking kids so scared and not knowing what the hell's going on. And then you have poor Ed, who's a grown man, like responsible for all these kids. Um, So for the next 16 hours, they would be stuck in this box. And during this time, it was dark. It was hot. The the ventilation fan stopped working at some point. And a 14 year old hero, Michael Marshall emerges with it. So he was the oldest kid on the bus. Mm -hmm. He's 14. And he noticed horrifically that the sides of the container started bowing in oh god and so the pressure of the earth was just beginning to be too much so he and ed knew very quickly that they had to do something or they were going to be buried alive in this thing um and who knew where the kidnappers had not been there for you know 16 hours so who knew what was going on above ground so um michael had the great idea so there were also a bunch of mattresses in there for them to sleep on so mm-hmm. he was like, let's pile up these mattresses. Ed, you and I climb up the mattresses and with both of our body weight, let's see if we can push this manhole cover off. So um, in the uh, video I watched, he said that all the kids were cheering him on as mm-hmm. they were climbing up the mattresses and stuff. And they ended up 
pushing and pushing and pushing and nothing happened. They could not get this thing to move. Well, they didn't give up and they continued to push and they, then they finally got it to move to slide a little bit. The manhole. Oh yeah. 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 The yeah. problem is, is that there was dirt covering the manhole cover. Oh, so once they got the manhole cover over enough, they were able, they had to then dig themselves out essentially. Um, oh God. And because this is SIP survivor Pete, they do. So, okay, good. um, <laughs> So they made, once Michael saw the first sign of light, um, and this just like totally speaks to how brave this 14 year old was. He was the first, he volunteered to be the first one to climb out of the hole. And mind you, they have no idea who these kidnappers are. And the all the kidnappers had guns. They were pointing them at them when they were first taken over hostage. They don't know if they climb out of this hole, if these kidnappers are going to be waiting for them, if it's a test, anything. So he volunteers himself to climb out of the hole and he makes his way out and there's nothing around him. They're mm. like the kidnappers are not there, but he does hear loud machinery and sounds, which was a little scary. Cause he's like, Oh my God, are they coming for us? Did they hear us? Whatever. Um, luckily it was the nearby workers working at the quarry. So there's like a full functioning gravel quarry going on. And this, um, buried truck was like I don't know how far it was from the from the quarry, but all these people are doing their like normal work day while all these twenty three kids are escaping from this like manhole. Anyway, oh, Lord. So Michael and Ed end up helping all the other kids escape and get out of the hole. And they he said that they scattered like mice, and they all made their way to the quarry and asked for help. And all these quarry people, like workers, were like, "What the hell is going on?" Like all these kids just like come running in. So they called the police and, you know, the police come and everyone's fine. They're safe. They're, you know, reacquainted with their parents who were all freaking out, obviously. Um, so the police investigate the manhole and the, uh, you know, the, the metal box or whatever. And they soon figure out who, who was behind it. And it was these two brothers, Richard and James Schofield. And then the mastermind was Frederick Woods. Now, the weird thing about these kidnappers is that they were all in their early 20s. What? And they were from a really wealthy, they were from very wealthy family, not very wealthy, but wealthy families um, from the suburbs of San Francisco. So they don't fit any, like, profile of kidnappers or, like, someone that's going to, you know, heist a school bus. Um, right. So they come to find out that when they search the brother's house, they find all this evidence, like so much incriminating evidence. This, this was a slam dunk case, but they had been planning this for a year and a half. And this part is fucking hilarious. They actually had a ransom note written for two and a half million dollars, but then they scratched it out and wrote five million for the, for the kids release. They wanted $5 million. They've been playing this for a year and a half, but after they sealed the cover on the manhole, the kidnappers tried to call the police to ask for their ransom, but they couldn't get through the phone lines because huh? there were so many phone calls going into the police station because of the missing kids that the, the lines were all busy. Because this is the 70s. You don't call waiting. There's no so 911, the, you guys. No, right. So the, the kidnappers were like, well, let's just take a nap. We'll call back whenever we wake up. These, these motherfuckers took a nap. After they kidnapped all these kids, put them in a manhole, covered it, pretty much sealed it, didn't ask for their ransom, and took a nap instead. So they end up waking up from their nap, and apparently it was a 
long freaking nap because the kids had been rescued by that. They saw in the news that the kids had been rescued. So these three kidnappers were taken in. Um, they said that uh, the reason why they did it <clears throat> was that they were in a lot of debt. And oh. this is a quote. We needed multiple victims to get multiple millions. We picked children because they are precious. Oh, God. Like, I mean, they are like, precious. They are precious. I agree. Like, how creepy is that? It's terrible. Um, so they were obviously arrested and sentenced to life with, with parole. And <clears throat> since the mid-70s, they have been up for parole more than 60 times. And both of the brothers were actually released on parole back in 2012. Oh. But the mastermind, he is still behind bars. And they are basically saying that he's not going to get out because he just is a bad prisoner. Like he has been caught with child pornography he's uh -oh. caught with a cell phone. He's just like not a model prisoner. So he's probably not going to get on anytime soon, which is good. But it was so interesting to hear, you know, a lot of these kids are in their like forties and like late forties right now. And they've, a lot of them have really suffered from this. That we're so traumatized by it. Um, like the one guy, he, you know, had a meth addiction, a drug addiction. He's now clean and sober, but all of them tie a lot of their, you know, their troubled teen years and their, their troubled <clears> 20 <throat> years. Cause you know, they were five or six, seven, eight at the time. Right. And they said that they just had, you know, PTSD really bad, probably didn't get the proper psychological care that they <clears> needed <throat> because it was the seventies and the eighties and who did mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the victims that did come out and speak in this interview they're all doing the best they can today. And they also have a lot of like issues with what had happened to them, especially with all of the parole hearings, because these guys are now out two of them and they mm -hmm. have not, you know, they, they haven't done anything since then, but you know, if you're a victim, you're going to go to the parole hearing. So they keep having to relive this over and over and never goes away for them. So um, I just thought it was such a great story. I'd never heard of it before. No, I've and never heard of that. The fact that these guys planned it for a year and a half and buried this thing 12 feet in the ground is just bananas. Did they me, say so. how they buried it? Did I miss that part? They didn't say no. They didn't say how they buried it. But I do have some great pictures I'm going to send you to post on Instagram. I'm just going to send it now. And it's, it shows you the, um, the van and then the actual container that they were kept in. And then there's a third picture that shows like how deep it was. And I don't know how they buried this thing. <clears throat> I, I would assume no they idea. had to use, they had to use like equipment. There was no way they dug that by hand. I, right. I, I don't know. It's insanity. <clears throat> so that is the wow. story of um, the Chowchilla, California kidnap. <clears throat> That's insane. Sorry. I'm having it's a phlegm insane. problem right it's now. It's okay. You do you. Um, that's insane. I've never heard of that. Me um, either. Kenny, who's not here, way to go. Kenny. Shout out. Kenny texted us and was like, who wants this? I was, I was like, like I I'm not quick enough. But it's okay, because I found... Well, yeah, and I found a really good story, so I'm excited about it. Let's hear it. <clears throat> Let me get the phlegm out. Kenny, you might have to cut this part. <clears throat> Kenny, Kenny, don't. <clears throat> Everyone wants to hear, hear all Jenny's that. Mm. Okay. I can't deal with my mouse right now. It's like doing weird stuff. Okay. I feel like it does that every week though. Okay. 
This is a yeah, story. You do have mouse problems a lot. <laughs> yeah, and not the little cute fuzzy ones. No, no. My <laughs> computer mouse. Okay. So my story is the survival of Jeremy Sutcliffe. Okay. And he was bitten by a rattle snake. A uh, what hurts? Oh my a god. Rat, a rattler snake. A rattlesnake. Uh. But there's a little twisteroonie in the story, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, so before the incident happened, um, Jeremy actually had said that he liked snakes and he thought they were beautiful even. Um, so that's, uh, you know, an interesting piece to this puzzle, but, um, he is a tattooed 40 year old, uh, Mm. and he wasn't, he wasn't someone who, uh, shied away from wild creatures. Um, he was definitely an outdoorsman. He liked to go camping and fishing um, so hunting. hunting and fishing and loving every day. Um, he had a love of nature and, um, his wife, Jennifer, who was 43 had recently moved to South Texas from Kansas because they bought their dream home, um, on Lake Corpus Christi. And that's oh, just, okay. th- that's just a short drive from the Gulf of Mexico. In um, Texas. In Texas. Uh, or as I call it, Tejas. Um, that is, well, it was their dream home, but it was, it was actually going to be, uh, the house they bought on Corpus Christi was, um, actually a big old fixer upper. So, uh, as Jeremy called it, it was a total gut job. And so they were living in a trailer on the one acre lot where the house was sitting because it had to be completely gutted and he was planning to do it all himself. Sounds miserable. Sounds terrible. Good luck (laughs) to Jeremy. (laughs) Have fun. Have fun with that shit. Um, So this was a Sunday morning in May, and it was pretty hot because it was Texas. And they were tidying up the yard because they were going to have a cookout that evening with their daughter and her two young children, so Jeremy and Jennifer's grandchildren. Uh, It was 10.30 a.m., and um, Jeremy was mowing the lawn, and Jennifer was working in their garden. She reached down to grab a weed, and that's when she saw a snake right next to her hand. No. Just trying to go about her day weeding the garden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she leapt up, and the snake that was a meter long, which I'm like, oh, you guys in your metric system. I know. Just give me inches. Ah! Um, it rose into striking position so uh, it had a dusty triangular head that was tensed and its tail started to rattle so obviously jennifer at this point knew that this was bad (laughs) uh so she yells snake and she backs away and she'll snake again uh jeremy figured that she had run into a harmless a snake. Uh, he called it a rat snake. I don't know what that means. In Ohio, we call harmless snakes gardener snakes. I was going to say, like a gardener snake. Oh, a meter is one yard. So imagine what, how long a yardstick is. Okay. That's pretty long. Yeah. It sounds like it was a big old snake. So um, Jeremy uh, grabbed a shovel and he was going to try and shoo the creature away because he, again, no. thought that this was just like a, a harmless like garden snake. So he comes running into the garden, and then all of a sudden he hears rattling. And he sees his wife is cornered between some shrubs and the wall of the house. 
and the snake is directly in her path. So the snake is like right in front of her. So his first idea was that he was going to try and scoop up the snake using the shovel. I'm like, that sounds like a terrible plan, Jeremy. But hey, I mean, it's going to either it's going to attack your wife or you're going to scoop it out of the way. I get it. And attack you. Um, so when he discovered that this was for sure not going to work, he did what he said was necessary. He raised the garden tool and brought the edge down hard straight through the snake's body just below the head. Okay. So I can get behind that. It decapitated it. So it was a head and a little bit of body and then a whole lot of body. So Jennifer went into the house, um, and Jeremy headed back to the garden. Um, no. No, it's fine. Uh, ten minutes later, uh, Jennifer said she was going to let their two small dogs out. So Jeremy decided that he should probably move the dead reptile because okay. he obviously didn't want the dogs, like, sniffing it. You know how dogs are. They'll just, like, yeah. roll in dead carcasses like, for funsies. Or, yeah. Ugh. Um, so he, uh, he looked at the, the creature lying there, its head attached to just a stub of body, and it was resting on, on the paved stone. Uh, he bent down to pick up a stick that was lying next to the, stake, the snake's head. So he, he went down to grab a stick. He wasn't just going to pick the snake up. He was going to grab a stick so he could flick it away like a normal person would. <laughs> yeah, because everyone knows that the, it can still bite out. No, they didn't know that. Oh, how do you not know that? Everybody knows that. Nobody oh. knows that. Okay. No, I didn't know that. That's why this whole story is amazing to me. Oh, so my, be- I guess people don't know that. Okay. But before his hand even touched the ground, the snake attacked. Yeah, but it had to have jumped or something, right? I mean, yeah, to some degree, it had to, like, move quickly, and it doesn't have most of its body. Yeah, I'm just picturing this, like... Head, snake head like jumping off the ground yeah. like up and down the actual quote from the article and this is from our favorite readers digest yeah is, is a blur of motion as the creature launched itself forward can you imagine just like a decapitated rattlesnake head coming at you like terrifying now, i'm gonna give him credit because i wouldn't think that it could jump like that right I which is why i think he like, was like i'm gonna get it up stick. with your bare hands it could bite you but not mm-hmm. Like, grabbing a stick nearby it, I wouldn't Mm-mm. think that it could still move like that. Nope, it launched itself at him. And it grabbed it's its pissed. hands. It was like, no, you don't. Not today. And it buried its fangs into his right hand all the way down to the bone. Ah! Um, it injected venom, and uh, Jeremy said it made immediately made his hand feel like it had been smashed by a massive weight. So he yelled, it bit me! Which always makes me think of that video. Have you ever seen that with the little kid? His little brother bites him. And he goes, ow, Charlie, you bit me. And they're yeah, like British. Yeah, so mm, cute. So cute. And his accent's so adorable. Ow, oh, Charlie, that really hurt. You bit that's, me. That's, and and then he doesn't even sound mad because of his accent. Right. Yeah. British people. Love him. Uh, okay. So he said it was kind of like being in a zombie movie. So it's like this undead creature had a final act of, re- of revenge um and like Danelle apparently knew truth is <laughs> bites from decapitated decapitated snakes are not uncommon so uh they say in the article it's like a chicken with its head cut off but the survival time is a lot longer because reptiles are cold-blooded and have slow metabolism oh, okay so that's why they that, can live that's, that's why. 
That's why, because they have cold blood, their metabolism is slow, and so it's it just moves a lot slower when it comes to the dying process. Oh my um, god. So he is now like, crap, I tried to kill the snake, now the snake is trying to kill me. Uh, the jaws were clamped around his hand, and he was trying to free himself, so he started inserting his fingers of his left hand... No, into, into the jaw to try and get the snake's upper jaw off. Yeah, like get the fangs out. He said he managed to remove one of the fangs from his middle finger, but as he tried to pull the whole thing loose, the snake's jaw clenched back down again, and it buried the fang into his ring finger this time. So now he has been bitten in his middle finger with this fang, and now the ring finger. Oh my gosh! On mm. the other hand. No, this is still his right hand. Okay, okay. Got it. He just used his left hand to try and pry it off. But okay. like it was kind of like, you know, if you're trying to pry something off and it like slips and it like clamps back down. That's what I'm kind of envisioning in and my it's head. A new hole, a new like insertion point, like <sighs> ouch, ouch, yeah. ouch. Um, so Jennifer, his wife, is a trained nurse and she came a running. Uh, so she saw her husband struggle. Can you imagine seeing this scene? She no, sees him struggling with the rattlesnake's head attached to his hand. She's like a decapitated snake head attached to her husband's hand. Uh, and she started freaking out because she knew he needed medical medical attention right now. Sorry, I've had two and a half glasses of wine. <laughs> um, so she runs into the trailer to get her car keys. And Jerry continued to yank at the snake's head until finally the fangs came loose. Wow. And he, f- and he flung that puppy far away. And it hit Jennifer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> hit Jennifer in the eye. No. Um, so she gets her husband in the car. She starts, uh, like, speeding down uh, the street. She is already on her cell phone with 911. Um, unfortunately, because of where they are, they're about half an hour away from the nearest hospital. Oh, no. And she doesn't know which medical center nearby might have an anti-venom, which sounds like we're in an action movie, anti-venom. But apparently that's real. <laughs> it doesn't sound real. So not um, Okay, so people, if, you're, if you live in an area where there are rattlesnakes... Look in advance to which hospitals carry antivenom in case you ever get bit by one. Correct. Um, so, anyway, she knew they didn't have much time. Um, she was always the nurse that people came to when things were getting <clears throat> heavy under pressure. Uh, when she would work at the hospitals, she was always the go-to person to give CPR. Um, and she was also the one that people turned to, um, if they needed quick thinking because she didn't freak out under pressure. So this is like good because if it were me, I'd be like hysterical. I don't know if I would be able to drive us. I just don't know. Yeah. Um, I would be hysterical too. And I probably would have called 911 first or I would like, I feel like what she did was the best protocol to get him to the hospital ASAP. Yeah. And called 911. And the interesting thing, we'll, we'll get to that in a sec, but Let's just talk about how they met because, like, it's cute. Um, she had known her husband their entire adult lives. They met the summer of 1993. They were both students working at a nursing home, and she liked his sparkling blue eyes. Oh, those blue eyes are so pretty. <laughs> so they became friends, and then they became Love more us. than friends. <laughs> oh. uh, they were married just a few years later. They went on to have a son and a daughter. Uh, Jeremy was super handy. He liked to build things. He worked at installing heating and air conditioning units. 
And he always seemed to be helping out neighbors or other people. So he was like a super helpful, nice guy. Um, at 2011, uh, or in 2011, he was 34 and he was diagnosed with Guillain-Barr syndrome. Oh, what's that? It's a rare and mysterious condition and it causes your immune system to attack healthy nerve cells. Oh, gosh, that's terrible. Yeah. So it left him very weak and exhausted, and he couldn't work more than a few hours each day. So um, they worked through it together. I mean, like, he still have it's an ongoing thing. But yeah, like, it's um, never going to go away. Right. But they bought this house in Corpus Christi, and they felt like it was going to be ideal. So she would continue working as a nurse. And then he would slowly create their dream home. Like, so he was, oh, okay. he was going to take those few hours a day that he was able to work and work on renovating the house. And do something he loves. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know. Exactly. So um, she's speeding down the highway at this point and um, she's on the phone with 911 and the dispatcher is trying to direct her down the highway to a spot where an ambulance could meet them. So it's like she's driving from one direction and they're sending an ambulance from another. So smart. Okay. See, like, I'm like, okay, okay. I didn't know they did that. Um, but it was just a few minutes after he had been bitten and they're driving and Jeremy is already feeling the effects. He oh. said he was blinking and he saw nothing but blackness. And oh he my said, God. I, terrifying. He said, I can't see. And then he would pass out. Plus I would wonder if his illness, if he's more like would feel the effects more so than a normal person. Who knows? I mean, well, and there's there's also another reason he's feeling such intense effects, and I'll talk about that in a sec. Oh, boy. Um, so many twists and turns. Oh, it's just so crazy. Uh, so he passes out. Jennifer shakes him, um, trying to steer and keep the car going while she's, like, shaking him. Um, and he would come, he would, like, come to, and then he would pass back out again. And then he started having a seizure. So the 911 operator told Jennifer to pull over and wait in front of a church until the ambulance got there. So it took another 15 minutes before the ambulance got there. But during that 15 minutes, Jeremy would say he would be babbling incoherently and then just passing out. So they put him into the ambulance and they are speeding down the highway. Jennifer is behind them. I'm always like, why don't they just let them go in the ambulance? Because now she's just breaking the law. But that's fine. Whatever. Right. Or, and um, also, like, she's, like, let her, like, not have to drive and focus on that. Let her be with her husband. Right. Um, but after just 10 minutes, the ambulance pulls over into the parking lot of an abandoned building. Oh, no. You know that's not good news. No, that's not what you want. Um, so Jennifer pulls up next to them. They tell her that her husband's in bad shape. His blood pressure is plummeting. And they're worried he's not going to make it to the hospital. So they say we have to get the halo. And I was like, the halo? We're sending, him, we're sending him to heaven? What's happening? Uh, <laughs> apparently, that, that means a helicopter. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> like, what's happening? Um, so the helicopter comes, touches down, and whisks Jeremy away. So uh, let's talk a little bit about rattlesnakes. Um, they have a very, I'm going to quote it, complex cocktail of enzymes and proteins that are injected into a victim's bloodstream. And that what they do is they act as a powerful blood thinner and they destroy skin and tissue and the blood cells causing internal hemorrhaging. That's mm. what the venom does. Okay. Um, the venom glands are connected to, uh, they're connected in the back of the snake's head and the snakes can actually control how much venom they inject into a, um, a predator. So um, usually they don't like to use a lot. A lot of times they will use a very light amount of venom 
to um, as a defensive strike to scare off a threat. But in the case of Jeremy, the rattlesnake knew it was already going to die because it was decapitated. And so it, it released every ounce of venom it had in its, in its stores into Jeremy. So it's almost better, I guess you would say to be bit by a rattlesnake. That's not dead versus one that is dead. (laughs) I mean, I would say so because if a rattlesnake knows it's going to die, it has nothing to lose. It's, I just, mean, it's just going to empty those venom glands all up in you. Wow, I did not know that. Okay. Yes. Okay. So uh, Jennifer gets to the emergency department. And um, she got there about an hour and 15 minutes after her husband. Because, again, he was helicoptered. He was choppered in. Um, she said it was very hectic. There were six or seven doctors working on her husband. Um, they were trying to get his blood pressure up. Because, again, the venom is something that is thinning the blood making the blood pressure drop, causing internal hemorrhaging. Um, his hand was enormous and swollen, and the red, like, anger from that bite was creeping up his arm. Mm. Um, she was watching um, the doctors give him lots of treatments. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce these. Cryoprecipitate and vitamin K to clot the blood. And they kept giving him dose after dose of antivenom. So just so you guys know, the average snake bike victim is given two to four doses of antivenom. Jeremy received 26. Holy shit. <laughs> 26. Wow. No. Um, okay. So Jennifer, again, was a nurse. And so she knew like how IVs were given and what to do. Um, she said, if a patient needs fluid quickly, you increase the flow. So like, if you're if you have an IV that's a drip, you make it into a steady trickle, she said. But for her husband, they put an IV bag into an inflatable sleeve, so it looked like a blood pressure cuff, and they literally were squeezing fluid into his body as fast as they could. Wow. Okay. She said she'd never seen anything like it before, and this is a woman who works in hospitals. <laughs> um. So at five p.m., five hours after working on Jeremy, they. They had to make a decision. Um, Jeremy's organs were failing and they needed to induce a coma and put him on a ventilator. And Jennifer agreed, but she, I mean, she was just like terrified. And it's gotta be hard being a nurse or being in that like industry nurse and know everything that they're doing and what they're talking about, what's really going on. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why they don't let you in the back of the ambulance. Cause if you're freaking out, like they can't do their job or make decisions. Right. Yeah. Valid point to know. Um, so at 3 a.m., a doctor came to Jennifer and said, your husband isn't doing well. His blood pressure is still not recovering. Uh, so it's dangerously low. So they said the mean arterial pressure or MAP uh, doctors were looking for was 65. Anything lower than that, and the, the heart can't push blood through the body. Okay. So they had Jeremy on the maximum dose of four medications to help increase blood pressure, but his MAP was not going over 60. So again, they wanted it at least at 65. He was staying at 60. And the doctor basically said, there's nothing else we can do. And they didn't think, they didn't think Jeremy was going to make it through the night. So she's like, Jennifer's super upset. This is like their dream that they moved down here and that they had this home and they were going to make their life. And, and she got in there so quickly too. It's not like, yes, around for eight hours. No. So, um, 
she went to her husband's bedside and she grabbed his hand and said, you find that venom and you push it out of your body. You can't die. I like it. I'm like, oh, oh I just got chilled. I get it, girl. You tell him what to do with that you venom. Tell, you tell his body. Woo! So over the next half hour, she stood by her husband's side in the ICU and she stared at the monitor next to his bed that had the blood pressure on it. And she said slowly she watched as Jeremy's blood pressure ticked up. It made it to 65, then 70. So the doctors then began taking him off medications and his nice. pressure his pressure remained stable because this is sip, survive, repeat. Repeat. That <laughs> So by sunrise the following day, the worst was over. So um, on May 31st, it was five days after the, the rattlesnake bite. Um, Jeremy emerged from his coma and found himself in a strange hospital room. Um, his entire body was swollen because he was filled with more than 20 kilograms worth of water weight. Because remember, oh they were just gosh. pushing yeah. it into him. Uh, he said everything hurt. His legs, his arms, his bowels, everywhere. But um, he saw that he was surrounded by his family. Uh, his daughter was there and her children, so his grandkids, um, his son, and his wife, Jennifer. So the next weeks were difficult. And um, he had a lot of kidney damage because of the venom that his body was trying to um, get rid of and the anti-venom. Um, they're just both really hard on your kidneys. So he had to be on dialysis. Um, the toxins from the venom left him with gallstones, kidney stones, and oh. abdominal pain. Um, he was so weak he couldn't stand. His medical bills were close to $60,000. Wow. Side note, you guys. We need to work on the medical situation in this country because that's insane. That's um, insane that, that that can make you go bankrupt for oh, yeah. an accident. That, yeah. That's... So they started a GoFundMe account. I, I did not look up how it did, but I'm sure it was lovely. Uh, and he, the two fingers that were bit on his right hand, uh, his ring finger and his middle finger, they tried to fix with skin grafts, but they were unsuccessful. So in the end, he ended up having to get his middle finger and his ring finger on his right hand amputated. That's okay, though. I mean, not okay, but I'm just saying no. like, in the grand scheme of things, I'll take it. <laughs> well, and that's how Jeremy saw it, too. He said, uh, he, said he is happy to give a couple of fingers as long as his kidneys uh, were coming back, right. which they were. So the dialysis um, helped his kidneys, and he was able to get off dialysis. Um, he had time to think, and he said, this was, this was super cute, that he said, I came to and things were right. I'd cry a lot and think about all the dumb things I'd done, the people I've hurt. So he said he remembered skipping the kids' events or ignoring Jennifer while he was off at work. Um, and he said it wasn't that he'd done anything so terrible. It's just that his new perspective suddenly made every misstep seem like a tragic waste. Aww. So he said the things, the things that used to matter don't feel like they matter as much. My wife and my family seem so much more important now. Um, so in late June, so this happened in May, in late June, uh, he was released from the hospital finally. And they moved back into the dream home in progress. Uh, and in July, they finally had that cookout they had been planning uh, the day that he got bit. And the daughter and grandchildren came over and a neighbor came and everyone sat outside in the garden and they ate hamburgers and grilled corn and potatoes and they enjoyed the warm Texas air. Oh um, God, that food sounds so good right now. Doesn't? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, I know it's you're like, on the juice no, it's, okay. <laughs> it's my own fault. So uh, that is the story of Jeremy Sutcliffe and the fact that a dead 
decapitated rattlesnake uh, almost took his life. Crazy. Mm-hmm. I can't. I still can't get over the amount of anti-venom they had to give him. Twenty-six doses. Yeah, and so they usually give two to four. Yeah. Again, I guess if if that snake is gonna die anyway, it's just gonna be like fuck you I mean, and, and pump you full of it. I would do that too. I'd be like, you're going down with me, Bo. <sighs> so rude yeah so if you're dealing with snakes apparently they don't die immediately uh and they can still bite you so don't don't f around with their dead head so so just play with garden snakes don't play with snakes i don't know although it is today i know this is going to come out after the fact but today that we're the day we're recording is actual um national snake day is it really it is i didn't know that but yeah, I saw there's a girl that we used to work with who has a pet snake, which I found interesting. And oh. she posted a picture of her snake and said, happy National Snake Day. Oh, did I work with her too? You did. Okay. I know probably who that is. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. So, okay. Uh, so Kenny's not here, but um, me and Danelle are going to try and uh, wrap this puppy up with some weird news and Jenny's favorite weird remedies. Yes, we are. So do you want me to go first or do you want to do a remedy first? No, you go first. Okay. So doctors remove what from a woman's tonsil? A tooth. No, a live worm. <laughs> Ew, no! On July no. 14th this year. A team so a couple of days ja- ago? A couple days ago, a team of Japanese doctors shared details of a case of a woman suffering a sore throat irritation who actually had a live worm inside her freaking tonsil. So um, we're all worried that if we have a sore throat that it could be coronavirus. This lady just had a live worm. A in worm. There. Yeah. Um, so she was a 25-year-old woman, um, and she went into St. Luke's International Hospital in Tokyo, mm-hmm. and she was complaining about, you know, a sore throat. And... Um, she had also mentioned that she ate sushi or sashimi specifically five days prior. Mm -mm. Um, So the medical medical team discovered a one and a half inch (gasps) black worm inside her tonsils and it was removed with tweezers. The worm, which was alive, was identified as the fourth stage larva of a it's a typical, it's a specific type of roundworm parasite um these worms sometimes are uh found infecting the stomachs of patients who come who consume raw or undercooked marine fish that contain um this this worm disgusting oh my god God. i wish you could see my face right now because it is disgusted i don't eat sashimi so and this is one of the reasons why i don't eat i do eat sushi but if I eat sushi, it's like spicy tuna. It's not like, like, I don't eat sashimi. I've eaten sashimi. I'm, I'm like, wow, maybe this is why I have to clear my throat so much because there's worms in my throat. No, don't say that. So more than ah! 700 cases <laughs> of um, infections involving worms have been documented in Japan, the Netherlands, South America, North Pacific countries, doctors have said. So... Gross. Um, they said that her symptoms quickly improved after the worm was removed and her blood test came back normal. <laughs> oh, God. But I wonder what kind of sashimi it was. Like if it was like a salmon sashimi or like a whitefish sashimi. I don't want eel. No, you have to cook eel. eel. Oh, do you, you do? Eel? Okay. I don't know. You have to cook shrimp. I know that. Oh, Someone yeah. tried I to work. tell me you don't have to cook shrimp. And I was like, no, you're on you crack. Do. You must you cook do. shrimp. 
I feel it like is, any like it's the cockroach of the sea. Get out of here with that. Yeah, you can't just eat that shit raw. Like you can't eat and crab raw. Same you with lobster. lobster. Yeah, you gotta cook it. Don't be sick, Come on, people. Ugh. Anyway, oh, I had peel and eat shrimp on vacation for like probably only the second time in my life. It's and so good. It was really good, and I the only I just don't like de pooping it. You know the de veining. I know, I know, but Ugh. it's the best. It's so much more like juicy if you get the kind that you have to peel. Yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, our, we had babysitters with us on the trip, and they were they did it, but I think they were a little grossed out. Maybe I can't tell. Uh, I'll ask. I Grace. feel like when you're young, you are grossed out by that stuff. Where now, yeah. when you're older, you're just like, eh, it's easy. yeah. You know what I can't do is shrimp with the head still on. Can't do no, that. I can't. I can't either. So like a crawfish type situation. Yeah. Well, uh, when I was studying abroad in Spain, we got. Uh, shrimp and the head came on it and I was sitting next to my friend Cheryl who grew up with eating shrimp like that and so I made her de-head and de um <sighs> I was like you you're gonna have to take care of this I can't I can't do Todd, this Todd just gave me a look because we're both hungry like he's like sorry oh and he, he walked by like showing like putting food in his mouth I'm like I know but okay shrimp sounds so good right now with cocktail sauce oh my god oh don't, th- don't think about it don't okay. think about it okay, okay. this this will m- make you lose your appetite get ready okay good <laughs> I looked up medieval remedies. Okay. Mm. So there's something called couching for cataracts. Any idea Cou- what couching for cataracts involves? So cataracts is when you lose sight in your yeah, eye. Like you get like a haze over your eyes, right? Yes. Yes. So couching for cataracts in medieval. So we're uh-huh. like dark ages. Okay. Yeah. Some sick shit. I'm going to guess they put like sperm in your eyes or something <laughs> so they can swim away the cataracts yeah i don't know <laughs> it's gonna be something weird and gross i know okay it's not sperm uh they treated it by using a needle to oh. dislodge the cloudy lens from the position ah. in front of the pupil of the eye and that doesn't work no because this <laughs> i like this website i like this website because it says could it have worked and the answer to this one is no. Oh, God. So you go through all that pain for no reason. <laughs> yeah. So they said people recognized that the procedure would be dangerous and that a specialist and that specialist skills were required for it to work. Uh, and today it's considered an ineffective method of treating cataracts that often resulted in blindness. Yeah, you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's great. Yeah. So totally gross. Um, if you guys haven't, uh, on Thursdays, I know we haven't done it recently because we've been busy and on vacation and things but we do short episodes where we just do weird news and i do remedies like this so if you're interested um get on we're gonna we're gonna start uh releasing those again i think soon we just have to wait until everyone stops going on vacation and moving right (laughs) which i think we should be back this week maybe yeah we just will have to record two before two short weird news slash remedies before next thursday Got it. Okay. So we can do that. Um, Anywho's it. Thanks for listening. We love you guys and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, it's Jenny from Sip, Survive, Repeat, and we love our listeners, but we want to get some more ratings and reviews. So if you guys could log on to Apple Podcasts and then give us a rating and a review, we'll send you 
a sticker. All you need to do is send us a screenshot of your rating and your review to either our email, sipsurviverepeat at gmail.com, or direct message us, or DM us as the kids like to say, on any social media. So all you have to do again is rate and review on Apple Podcasts and take a screenshot of that and send it to us at one of the channels I just mentioned. And we'll send you a Sip, Survive, Repeat sticker. And it's big, you guys. Size of your hand at least. So again, send it to us and we'll see you soon.